Welcome to Risk Takers Unleashed. My guest today is Pia Alt, founder of Kabbalist Consulting and thought leader in leadership development and executive coaching. Thanks for joining the podcast. Buckle up. Let's go. My guest today is Pia Alt. Pia has 20 years of multinational senior leadership experience in enterprise-level organizations. Among other roles, Pia is an alumna of Cisco Systems, Lee Hecht Harrison, and Accenture. Her experience and background give her a very unique skill set for developing relationships and transforming leaders. With strength and focus in leadership development, executive coaching, talent and organizational management, strategy and business consulting, training and front room facilitation and delivery. Pia has over 10 years of research, study and learning in psychology, empathy, and human behavior, backed by two master's degrees, all culminating in the work she does every day to impact people in her role at Kabbalist Coaching and Consulting. Pia has lived and traveled quite literally all over the world and currently lives in Andalusia, Spain with her husband, Eric. I worked with Pia during our mutual tenure at Cisco Systems. I consider her a cherished colleague and personal friend. Pia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mike. Glad to be here. Talk a little bit about your background. You know, how'd you get here? You know, here we are in 2023. How'd you arrive at this place? What was your journey? Wow. Uh, yeah, you know, I I don't normally think about that. It's a question that we don't, you know, we, we look back and we reminisce. But um, when I think back to, you know, getting out of high school and then going to university, it, that seems like lifetimes ago, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I grew up in Denmark. I was born in Copenhagen. And I guess it always felt like Denmark was too small for me. Yeah. And, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful or, you know, negative um, way at all. It just like I always had a hunger for more. I was really curious. And uh, I, I don't remember specifically why it was the U.S. I think that was by chance. I knew somebody that was already over there. Uh, um as a, as a nanny or an au pair. And I started as a nanny in Chicago. Um, right. I did that for about nine months and then I got sick of taking care of three little kids. You know, I was 19. I'm like too young to be a mother kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I decided to go to university and, uh, because I was in Chicago, Southern Illinois university seemed to be the choice of the time. Yeah. So I went back to Denmark to save up enough money for the first uh, semester. And I was just, mm -hmm. I told my mom, I'm only going to be gone for about a year. You know, I just want to try it. And uh, she didn't see me for the next 16 years. You know, I came back with a husband and two kids and went, yeah, yeah that was a long year. <laughs> but, um, but, but yeah, honestly, it went from one year to, to two years. And then I thought, well, I can graduate in three years because yeah. my high school had availed me. You know, at that point, the Danish system was was far advanced. So it, yeah. it availed me with a lot of courses that kind of hit the requirements. So I graduated in three years. And during the university time is when I met my husband, junior yeah. year. Yeah. Um, and we got married after we both graduated. And then then it just started, you know, with one international company. I think I started in I started at Newark Electronics wow. in Chicago, you yeah. know, very, like I never, ever thought that I would go into IT technology or electronics, but that's kind of what I landed, um, yeah. you know, right out of school. And then yeah. it just grew from there. Yeah. I started getting more experience. I got more education and started climbing the corporate ladder. And Newark Electronics became Morton International. Yeah. Morton International, then to Amphenol and, and then eventually Cisco. And, you know, yeah. So. Wow. Wow, just was going to be a an au pair for a year. That's it. <laughs> you know, and I think that's you. You don't know um, in those younger years, and you know, maybe in a way, my my journey. I don't know that I ever once thought I'm going to go work in technology. It never. It actually wasn't when we're contemporaries. I think we can say, and it wasn't really even a thing. Um, I can remember as a kid, I was really one of those geeks who. I'd take computer parts and put them together and build computers and stuff. This is in the eighties. Um, and, and that was bad enough. That was kind of like, people would give you that look like, Hmm, it's one of those weird kids, you know? 
And because, because, you know, then it was kind of like, uh, that's a fad. What can you do with that thing? You know, you'd, you'd like hit print and it would take like four minutes for a document to even just compile, to be loaded in and come off the print. I mean, it was just a different world and it, it didn't, you didn't have that sense of, I think, importance and gravitas with tech that to me, I first saw the real power of it in business school in about like 95, 96. And I went to UCLA Anderson school and they installed a network, um, an ethernet <clears throat> network in the school. And it was mind blowing. It was kind of, wait, I can send a file to somebody else. Wow. And yeah. you know, so it was mind blown, but I think that was the first time I saw any power of this because of this social communication context that now, you know, we'd take all of this for granted. You're sitting in Andalusia, Spain. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee right now talking to each other like you're sitting across from me. So yeah, I love the happy accidents in life though, you know, where you kind of go like, well, I guess I'm in technology now, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Right. Because I, that wouldn't, I mean, yeah. you know, I, like many other, you know, young girls, I, I'm sure I had other aspirations. I did at one point yeah. want to be an astronaut. Yeah. And I remember my mom love her to death. Yeah. And it's just what our parents do. Right. They, they mean well. Yeah. And I'm now coaching a lot of, a lot of, you know, senior leaders who, yeah. who their dreams were crushed. Yeah inadvertently by their parents uh, because, you know, yeah, I'd love to be an astronaut. And, and here comes my mom, honey, you really got to be good at math. And, you know, you got, you got to start in I don't, you know, and then it was like, okay, I guess I won't. Right. So like that went into the shadow and then it's like, okay, let's try something else. Ballerina, honey, yeah. you don't, your toes are not long enough. You don't, you've got skinny legs, but you know, and, and you can only do it till you're 25. Then you, so it's like, okay, what might I need to do in order to not fail or, you know, be know. crushed? And so a lot of us, I think, come into our careers because we're preconditioned to what we can't or wow. shouldn't do. Right. Wow. And then we go do where we're whatever we do, we're rewarded for doing, doing, doing. I, that story, I think, is almost everywhere. I've got that, too. You know, it's the and, and I've reconciled with. I think the parents meant well, you know, in their advice. They just didn't want to see us living under an overpass and starving yeah, to death. They didn't want whole... us to fail. And you know, that's cool. Mine's mine's the you know guitar. So I would sit and in high school, uh, I'm not exaggerating. I would practice six hours to eight hours a day. I mean, my fingers bled, and I gained competency. Right, you put in. That the ten, the Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hours thing, right? You put in, yeah. I've put in twenty thousand on guitar, you know, and it's kind of. But I would kind of come back and you know allude. Well, my friends and I were starting a band, and I play guitar, and I I think I'm decent, and I'm going to do this, you know, and it'd be kind of like, hmm, how about doctor or lawyer for you? Yeah, you know, you just go like. <laughs> Doctor, lawyer. What about my inner rock star? Rock music. Yeah, it just didn't. It didn't happen. Look, I mean, I still. I, now I just hang guitars on the wall and think about you know what could have been, basically, yeah. you know. And it's just kind of so. Yeah, I I think a lot of us have that story, but then you take the kind of say astronaut momentum, right, and you bounce off that and you move it forward into because it's not like when I think about it. I've had a really interesting career, interesting life. You've done the same. You know, it's not like um, we were destroyed or anything. It just was this, it's like a, uh, you know, that Super Bowl, it bounces, but it has spin on it and it goes off at a slightly oblique yeah. angle, you just, know. And, we just went down a different path. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I really am grateful because where I am now, Yeah everything else has led up to this moment, yeah. right? Everything yeah. else that I've taken with me or not taken with yeah. me uh, or whatever path has, has, has been in front of me, it's led me to where I am now, yeah. which I love and I appreciate and I'm grateful. If, Let's go if, there. Let's go there. Yeah. But let me, let me pulse on one. Talk a little bit about the kind of um, Cisco years, um, Accenture years, this idea. So you, hmm because of your innate talent, find yourself in leadership positions at essentially fortune 100 companies. 
yeah. um, doing. So it's because it's not just technology, right? You know, it's you meet people and they they casually talk to you and they don't know much about things. They go, well, you must be an engineer. It's kind of like, yeah. well, <laughs> yeah. you know, no. no, I'm kind of interestingly, a business. Yeah. yeah. I mean, interestingly <laughs> enough, I then, um, I think it was at, uh, it was probably at Morton International. Yeah. So at, that was right after the Thiokol, you know, scandal I remember. Uh, or disaster. Yeah. And uh, they split into Morton. So it was Morton Salt and then Morton Thiokol became Morton Specialty Chemicals. Right. And I you're was talking sitting... about the O-ring failure on the space yeah. shuttle. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember watching that live. It was jaw-dropping, jaw just jaw-dropping, yeah. you know, because it was it was still the space shuttle at that point was relatively new and an awesome thing. I lived in Miami at the time. You almost could step outside and see the arcing oh yeah that shot. was really close yeah so i was i was in my last year at call i remember studying for finals yeah around that time and yeah you know and then having the tv on in the background or whatever and then yeah and then there it was right one of those big um, moments in in life it sticks with you you know it's a totally. little bit like uh, september 11 in many ways you know that, that sort of it was an extremely so it was a very cold day in florida uh, I want to say Miami even hit like 40 degrees, which is so up the coast. I think it was below freezing. And I know the temperature had something to do with the, the whole yeah. thing. But anyways, not to yeah. go down. Yeah, that, I, don't, I don't know the specifics, but I do. Obviously, when I started at Morton, I was, you know, given the history that yeah. they had to obviously get rid of Morton, th the Thiokol division yeah. for that yeah. reason. So anyway, I started in, yeah. in the specialty chemicals and I was in the uh, the uh, I don't even remember what they called it. It was customer service and freight forwarding and everything that had yeah. to do with the shipments. Yeah. And I I started working with uh, the freight forwarders and shipping companies like Maersk and all that. You know, mm -hmm. doing the my department that I was leading at that time were all doing the the scheduling of the containers and getting making sure that there was you know space on on the ships and all of that. And yeah. So. That's when I got my first taste of international business, right? Mm -hmm. And that because mm -hmm. I knew nothing about the chemicals, but I didn't need to. I knew how to get along with people, relate to people, yeah. personable, you know, all of that. And and I got a taste at that point for uh, knowing that I wanted to work in international business. But what did that really mean? I yeah. knew that I could link my European background. Yeah. And it was before that uh, it was before uh, the European Union, like all of that kicked off with right. yeah. I thought, what an opportunity to get the U.S. and the and EU, you know, like work in something that's got yeah. an entry into different countries and, and all of this. So, yeah, I didn't know what it was going to look like at the time, but yeah. I remember at the point I was going through my my master's in international business. Yeah. at that time. And I worked for a, I think he was director of finance where this department of freight forwarding and all that sat under. Yeah. And I graduated in uh, 1993 while I was at Morton. And I remember my boss saying, that's great. Congratulations. Now, I guess you can just take that diploma and stick it in the drawer because it's not going to do much for you. <laughs> and I thought, wow, what again with the conditioning, right? I'm like, <laughs> Okay, obviously there's something I'm not good enough at some levels, right? Yeah, That's yeah. what you think. Uh, but but uh yeah, I think I was out of that company within 6 months. I'm like I'm going to show you, right? Yeah. And then and then it was up the ladder since then. And another, you know, master's degree later on in psychology, which I probably should have done that all along going yeah. back. <laughs> I would have done I would have done psychology uh, right out of college. So Well, you know, I I think there's this um it's never too late, right? In a way for, for anything. And I think that's something that I've had to kind of continually reinforce in, in myself because you just think like, well, I'm not going to shift into this new technology paradigm. I'm not going to shift into this, you know, the, the culture has changed and I'm a dinosaur and who cares. And I think that's your own self-acceptance and permission to move forward where you kind of go, well, why not me? You know, instead, mm. instead of why me, you know, why not me? Right. In a way, it's a it is a mindset thing. And I think um, so, you, you know, all right. So you've worked with these global, you know, multinationals. Um, they're 
you know, high revenues and high revenue pressure, right? Mm -hmm. You know, all these kind of, I guess, um, systems that we both had to work in. You notice some things, right, as you go through this, this journey. And I think this is really in particular to your expertise is this idea of, this is something I think about a lot. And it's this idea of, of leadership and what that means. And depending on the day, if you ask me on a Tuesday, I really know a definition for it. I've got it down. And then two days later, Thursday, I don't honestly know what leadership means. I've come to the point now where I think I know leadership when I see it, mm -hmm. which is helpful, I think, because I've had, I've worked for and with really great leaders. I've worked for and with really atrocious leaders and all points in between. So, you, you know, you get to see a range of things as you go through your career, you've seen the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's um, one of the things I think I've, I've landed on though, that's meaningful to me is there's a difference between leadership and management. And so a lot of people mistake the two for the same thing. And we come out of MBA schools, we've both been they're kind of teaching you to be a manager. And so if you conflate those two and a lot of, I would say mediocre to less leaders that I've worked for uh, are very much rote managers, you know, and I think I'm interested in your, your take yeah. on that. And if you, you probably think about these things 10 times more than I do and actually can probably define leadership and, but I'm, I'm really interested in your take on, you know, that element of business success, building our own personal success, those types of things. Talking a lot about personal branding and all these things that are out there. To me, I think my last point, and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you kind of, you know, drive on this one. It, 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 I think that leadership in many ways. So as I was playing guitar as a kid, um, you, I got very good um, just from time playing. But I, I realized there are people who will always be better than me. You know, I'd sit and I'd listen to people, my heroes at the time, Eddie Van Halen or Stevie Ray Vaughan, the kind of iconic. And I reached this point where I call it this, you know, regardless of what you believe in, those guys were touched by the hand of God. In other, in other words, something was imbued in them to be absolutely great. If their journey found them to playing guitar, they were instilled this gift maybe at birth to achieve true, true, true greatness on the instrument. I don't know that I was touched by that hand. Um, so whatever you believe in for afterlife and superpower and all these things, to me, it was, there's a little bit more. And I wonder if great leaders, iconic leaders, aren't in a way born that way. So I don't know, some kind of theory that I've been toying with, but anyways, love your take on, on this and how you, you know, view this as a kind of business phenomenon and, and uh, you're coaching people to be better leaders and transforming them to be better leaders. So I'd uh, love to hear kind of your, your view on this and feel free to disagree by the way. No, I, I, I don't disagree. I think I have a different perspective on it. I don't really think about leadership as a definition. Yeah. I come at it um, with the executives that I sit with and it becomes a conversation of what are the traits yeah. and what are the, you know, like personality traits, skill yeah. sets, um, competencies, yeah. and a little bit of, that your self juice kind of thing. Like you said, yeah. you call it touched by the, by the hand of God. And maybe some are born yeah. as a leader, but I think more so when they get up to the position that, that they're in, um, I think it comes down to a, a set of skills and competencies and emotional intelligence mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, a, you know, a good dose of empathy yeah. So that they can, and, and lots and lots of self-awareness, yeah. right? Um, I work with so many leaders that have no self-awareness. They're a great leader in their mind. They do awesome things. Yeah. They just can't seem to connect with the, with the people that they lead. Yeah. And, but they don't know why. Right. And this is, so this is especially, um, 
uh, helpful when when we're trying to when I'm trying to illustrate, you know, what 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 is it that you're not connecting with your team yeah. with yeah. or around? And we illustrate that when we work with the horses, because yeah. the horses won't follow you just because you were born a leader or you yeah. have a great suit or a red tie or whatever. Yeah. You know, they'll work with you and follow you and be connected to you if if you're aligned, if you're yeah. congruent, if you're authentic and if they trust you and feel safe. Talk, talk a little, take us through kind of, like I say, so I've been through a, a bunch of, um, I'm constantly subjecting myself to revision and, you know, critique and the whole thing. You're doing something I think I found to be really unique. And that is this, um, I'm not even going to attempt to describe it, but for, you know, the viewers, like walk us through how you arrived and I know you've done a lot of more traditional coaching as well, but you're doing something unique with uh, horses and the empathic bonding there and the whole thing. I'm not even going to try to explain it because I'll, I'll butcher it up. You you describe the process to you because I think to me this is like mind-blowing and, and unique. And the second you start, I think, thinking outside the box on how to – revise your own capabilities, uh, you've got a real good chance of doing that because so many people are like, well, I'll read an article on LinkedIn and I'll figure this out. And that's not, you know, always the, the answer, but talk about this thing that you do with it's Kabbalist, right? Is your company yeah, so, ties yeah, into this my, equestrian. My, my company, yeah. Yeah. My, my yeah. company name is, um, Kabbalist, which yeah. is uh, the Latin word for horse. Right. Um, but I mean, this, this whole concept is not, is not new. Um, it's in fact been around the U S several founders or, or, you know, thought leaders around how can we make horses, uh, work with us, not yeah. for us, right? Because yeah. they've they've historically been um, been working for us, whether they were pack animals or in the wars or you know plowing mm. the fields. And so I've always had, I think, since I was, I, I yeah, well, since I can remember, you know, being able to walk and sit, always loved horses. Yeah. And it might have been, I think it might have been Legoland in Denmark that, well, I def definitely got my first driver's license on one of those electric little Lego cars in nice. Legoland. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think I, I think that's where I first rode a pony and I must have been yeah. four or five years old, you know, hand, handheld wow. pony rides. And uh, I just, it, it grabbed me. And I, ever since I can remember back to my childhood and teens, yeah. I've just loved being around horses, whether yeah. I was with them and not, not necessarily riding them, but just being in the paddock with them yeah. and, you know, in the field coming by on a, on a country road. And there was a herd of horses, wow. you know, in a field and I would crawl under the fence and just go and be with them. So that's been in my blood, I guess, for yeah. a long time. And when I, when I started my coaching training, I knew right away that I wanted to find a way to work with horses in coaching, but I didn't know at the time what it looked like. And I right. didn't even, in fact, I remember um, going through my certification and we were in a co or like a, a pod or cohort or whatever they called yeah. us. Yeah. There were nine of us. And there was a guy who was in my pod from New York city. He was a lawyer and he was mm -hmm. going through coaching a uh, coach training. And yeah. he said, look, uh, the other day I went to a, a coaching federation, some kind of meeting, you know, yeah. a monthly meeting. And there was a lady there that talked about coaching with horses. And he goes, I know you've talked about this. You need to talk to her. Mm -hmm. And, and I did, I did yeah. call her up and I said, you know, her name's Lisa. Uh, I think I need to meet with you because this is what I want to do. But I didn't yeah. know if I didn't know it existed. Yeah. And so she had um, she had a company and was training coaches and other people to go through and learn equine assisted learning mm -hmm. or, or equine guided learning, whatever you want to call it. It's got many right. names, but, yeah. you know, equine facilitated learning. I think it was called at that time EFL. And uh, and it is the it is the practice of using uh, not as a tool, but, you know, as a co co facilitator or co coach. Yeah the horse as your partner in yeah. 
making people see like what their potential is or are. Yeah. So, you know, many different ways. Horses give us instant feedback. It's yeah. not judgmental, you know, yeah. it's honest. And so there's a lot to learn through horse wisdom. And and I was just so thrilled to find somebody that I could train with. And it's kind of taken off from there, right? So I'm doing yeah. a lot yeah. more training and certifications always. Every year I'm develop, developing myself. And the most recent thing I'm going through is um, it's called the diamond model of shared leadership. Yeah. And it's also based in the horse herd. So I'm going through that certification um, right now as we speak. So, so it's the horse is like um, a very attuned filter of kind of that empathic communication is, is my take on it. Like I, I don't, and I'm, I'm not an equestrian person. And I, I mean, I think of, no, you don't up. need to be, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's a, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, they, they observe our, you know, they are, they can't speak. So they right. are all about right. observing their environment and they yeah. do that because it's survival, right? Yeah. I mean, they are, they just want to survive. Yeah. So they're constantly scanning the environment yep. with their body, with their ears. So hearing, seeing, uh, sensing, smelling, even the, even vibration in the, in the ground through their wow. hooves, right? So their, wow. their whole body yeah. is a sensing machine. Yeah. And, and they do that just to be able to be safe. Yep. And if they sense that there's a danger, they'll, they'll assess whether they need to run or not. So here comes wow. the fight and flight. Right. And so they can mirror, they, they really are one, you know, one good way of mirroring our behavior. They look at our body language. They look at how we show up and what our intent is. And if they feel that they can, that, you know, that they feel safe with us, that we can be yeah. with them and not be a threat because we are predator as yeah. humans, right? Sure. Yeah. So if they can be safe with us, then they want to be with us. And if not, if there's no alignment or congruence or, you know, authenticity there and we don't do what we intend to do or we don't come across, you know, truthful, they don't really want to be with us. So it's, it's like this kind of pure filter for kind of, emotive content in somebody. And I, I imagine you see, you probably get people who think they're on one end of the spectrum and then they engage with the animal and all of a sudden the horse is giving a whole different set of feedback where that, that kind of dichotomy between the perceived, I'm, I'm very empathic. I'm always listening to people. I'm a born leader. And then the horse is kind of like bucking and (laughs) jumping over the fence. And, you know, this guy's horrible, you know, so I'm sure you see a a bunch of that. How do you kind of reconcile that with people where they're, they're like, um, it, it really is, uh, it really is it, you know, on one hand, it's kind of funny, but when you're in the situation and you're observing the behavior of the, of you know, I, I had to give you an example. Maybe that's the best way to illustrate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a group of, of senior leaders in for, I think there were five or six of them from a company. Right. And this was in Dubai. And the and their executive director, you know, managing director was in the paddock with the horses. And it very basic task, lead the horse, uh, you know, through like through cones or something, you know, around yeah. cones or a figure eight or whatever yeah. and just lead it. And we'll, I'm, you know, I'm going to observe you and the rest of the team will observe you and we'll give you feedback afterwards. Yeah. So he goes in there, he grabs the horse by the lead rope, you know, and starts to walk and he walks backwards and, and he's got the, you know, the rope in front of him and the horse and he's walking backwards the whole time and doing this. And I was like, okay, I haven't quite seen that before. So when it was all done and he did the exercise and we're giving feedback and observations and stuff, I asked him, would you mind telling me, you know, why you were walking backwards? What, you know, what was that about? And he said, well, I wanted to make sure that I was watching the horse not fall or, you know, that I could keep an eye on where it was going. Yeah. And, and I thought, okay, so how do you lead your people? Yeah. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, do you, do you, do you, <laughs> do you walk backwards <laughs> metaphorically? Yeah. And he go, and he just went, he's like, oh. wow. He goes, I micromanage them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
that's that's the thing that you know I'm kind of speaking to on the the there's there's management and there's leadership, right? You know, and I think that's an incredible example, and I think it's so uh, illustrative of what a lot yeah, of what I see he, out there. He could have trusted if he had trusted yeah. the horse knows where it's going. I'm just yeah. you know I'm partnering up with this horse, and we're going to yeah. go from A to B. Yeah. And I'll let it go. It's going to yeah. find its way. Your people. Yeah, the, the horse is good at yeah. walking. Yeah, he and, knows how and to. It's the same with your team. Your team <laughs> yeah. will find the way. Let them let them falter or let yeah. them stray. But yeah. you know, trust that they yeah. are going to get to from A to B without you micromanaging them. I so I had have had teams throughout my career and have reported into bigger teams and the. I think you, it's something that you have to do, both manage uh, and lead. And there's really kind of not a lot of training for it. You've got to kind of do the thing simultaneously while skilling up, I think, you know, because it's too difficult to just kind of say, read this book, you'll be a great leader. You know, there's so much emotional content to it. There's interpersonal dynamics, all these things. I love kind of metaphors and I always think in terms of metaphors, I had a team, you know, most of them at Cisco, uh, when I was, you know, leading up the business intelligence team for emerging markets theater, uh, to a person, everybody was probably smarter than I was. Um, they all did these really unique things. Certainly in certain areas, they were, uh, each smarter than me at, different things that they did. And I realized it was kind of like having a garage of exotic sports cars where you kind of go, wow, they're all great. They all do great things. Some of them are pretty specialized. And I saw that my role was really keep them, you know, topped up with gas, you know, keep them tuned up, take care of all the little things for them. And just let them run. Let them do what they do. Obviously, some directional guidance, and there are certain tasks that that had to be done. We have to check those boxes and everything for for our senior manager. Um, you know, support people that we actually support. And so I, I think you know, but that was the metaphor that stuck with me was just let these really like exotic, high performance, tuned up, capable people do their thing and then provide kind of air support and coverage uh, for them, you know, in that regard. And, and I think that worked pretty well. It's not always the answer, but, and then there are some people who have to be managed for whatever reason. Um, those, those for me are always going to be a bad fit because I'm just not, I am not going to micromanage. Uh, I don't believe in it. I've not seen it work well. I hate when it happens to me. Uh, my best leaders have not done that to me. My worst ones have always done that, you know, and it always, it's just to me is this recurring theme. So I don't know if that resonates with, with you, that, that notion of, um, you know, the kind of sports car metaphor and it's a silly one, but you know, for me, it kind of always made sense is to part of it is just giving them regard for this incredible talent that they have and saying, you know, I've got to find the right, track racetrack for you and when we find that right one where you are a perfect blend of cornering and straight line capability you're gonna rock it and that's always really what i was doing was matching the car to the track if that makes sense yeah i i, I think it makes total sense um and i may have had metaphors around you know horses just let yeah. them let them go and be horses yeah right you know um and i and i think it comes down to one thing it's that there is that in there's that inherent belief that you are one team, you are a system, you're all equal, you're all yeah. needed. Yeah. And the trust is the yeah. ultimate foundation, right? Yeah. If there, if that trust is not there, or even if it's, yeah. you know, like remotely cracked, yeah. um, that that's yeah. when things fall apart. Yeah. There's no question about that. I mean, I think that's, so that, that is a cornerstone of, of great leadership to me. And I, I go, I define it slightly different. I call it um, credibility. Yeah. Because it is it is that there are messages that you can't disseminate to the entire team. 
you know, some things are just limited. I can't give you quarterly information that's going to be released in the financials because I don't tell you that doesn't mean that you shouldn't trust me. In fact, hopefully it builds the credibility of I'm keeping that crypto until the quarter release happens. So there, there are moments where, um, you know, that full disclosure open environment cannot exist in business. And I, I think, but it, it, the credibility factor is always there. And for me, that has resided in a, um, I would always do personally the mission I'm going to ask you, you know, direct report a to do. And I think that's, that's huge. It's, it's kind of, I'm not going to have you do something that I wouldn't personally do just as a matter of scale, you do it. Um, if you need any guidance, coaching, assistance, let me know and I'll help. But I think that's that's a huge piece of it right there. And having that feeling from your team of, yeah, well, and then occasionally doing the thing, you know, like, you know what, I'm going to go visit the client. I'll put the PowerPoint deck together. Let's talk it over. Uh, any learnings I have, I'll bring back to the team and we can talk about it. But it's it's you've got to do the thing you're asking others to do or have done it to an extent where you've built that that credibility. And I think that's a, a huge piece of the puzzle. And that's a differentiation for me between leadership and management because managers are, we're supposed to achieve this, go do that thing and then come back at the end of the quarter. you know. And it's kind of like, well, how do I do it? What have you done in the past? Like, I don't know, just get it done. You know, that kind of well, attitude. The, the, the vision isn't there, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And and to get back to yeah. you letting the team be the team, yeah. you also start it with a team that you put together based mm -hmm. on what they would bring to the table. That's right. Again, yeah. with the skill set, the competencies. Yeah. Is there a gap? Do we need somebody to be yeah. more analytical? Let's hire, yeah. let's hire somebody analytical. Do we need somebody who can, yeah. uh, you know, meet with the client and be like, be that front of the, well then, you know, yeah. so you, you also staffed your team according, yeah. according to what was needed yeah. and what they were able to bring to the table in terms of what, you know, what made the whole team. Yeah. That, that's a unique so, scenario. I mean, I've almost, yeah. I've come to kind of think I may not get that opportunity in business again, just because of that level of talent, the ability to completely build the team um, of my own accord. And I like also, there's something about, I'll call them, you know, characters, like interesting people, people who do different things in addition to the, you know, main thing that I'm asking them to do, which in, in our world of business, it's a lot of, can you put a spreadsheet together? Can you put a coherent PowerPoint slide together? These kind of not fun, but rote skills that you really have to have. They're almost the oxygen and currency of business. You know, we have to do these things, but almost to a person again, each person on my team had this really like interesting background or did interesting things. Um, one of my, I, I love this, you know, person that you know, uh, had a degree in forestry. He was from yes. South Africa. I was just about to say, are you going to bring, yeah. Stephen right? Kewley. Forest, I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah forest ranger. I'm like, what? Like really wow. one, one of the smartest people I've, I've ever met. And I'm sure is, uh, is every bit as smart now as, as he was back in the day. And I had to, so I'm interviewing him and I'm kind of talking it over and I'm like, so Stephen, I, I just don't get this like forestry degree and you've got this incredible background in statistical analysis and, you know, putting together complex business algorithms in Excel and, you know, like connect the dots for me. I just don't get it. And he's like, and I'll do a horrible South African accent here. He, he'll call me Mock. Mock. <laughs> so Mock, we have to count the trees. And it was like, it was like this light bulb went on in my head and I'm like, Oh, and you don't mean like you're walking in the woods like 10,001, 10,002. Like you're looking at like a grid of trees from a satellite photo and statistically modeling how many trees are in the thing. And it was like, yes, of course. You know, and you yeah. see these like interconnections. I mean, music, I think, is the same way. It's really mathematical, you know, yeah. so it really appeals to a part of my I'm a finance quant background guy. And, you know, it was kind of like, I think about music in the same way, like chordal relationships and modalities and scales and things like that. They're, they're just math, you know, it's math. Yeah. And so I love that kind of 
And I wonder if, you know, like in your, um, in your leadership coaching, how are you kind of, so you're, you're, I would think you're trying to, well, look at the root of what you do as a leadership coach, you're really trying to transform people in a positive way, right? I would, I'll make that assumption. I think that's the case. And so, well, yeah, go ahead, go ahead please. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, to transform, but it's not, it's not me trying to transform them. Yeah. It's them trying to transform themselves. Uh, and, uh. and so they might come to me, let's say they come to coaching because they feel they need to be a better public speaker sure. or they need yeah. to get a little bit more confident around mm-hmm. communications, you know, yeah. within their department or whatever. They're already a great leader, yeah. right? I always tell them you, you're not broken. There's yeah. nothing to fix. Yeah. You just, you just want to be a better version of yourself. Sure. And so you're looking at what, what might I need to tweak or yeah. fine tune. Yeah. And then say it's communication. There's, mm-hmm. it's always something else as well, right? Yeah. yeah. They might come to coaching for, yeah. uh, PowerPoint presentations or learning to speak more with gravitas or whatever, make yeah. be a better influencer. And it's always something else that's below that. Yeah. Whether it's a feeling of um, imposter syndrome or yeah. not really being as powerful as they think they are or, yeah. or that they haven't, you know, like you said, your whole team was probably smarter than you in yeah. some ways, but you also brought like, this team would not be what they are without every single spoke of the wheel being yeah. in the system and being equal. Sure. So I think it's the same with people that come to coaching. They, they yeah. just need to straighten the, they need to balance something. Yeah. And, and what you said something before uh, about, um, you know, the people on your team also having other talents outside, there was yeah. something more to them. Yeah. Something that made them more interesting. And and actually, when I worked at Accenture, that's one of the things that my my then manager said. He goes, we don't want to hire you think of you think of the Accenture profile or ENY and, you know, PwC, the usual consultant kind of yeah. goes, we don't we don't want people that are going to be the usual engineer or consultant. Right. Yeah. We want people who are. Maybe someone has a history degree or yeah. you know, liberal arts or, you know, uh, basket weaving. I don't know, but there's something that makes them good at what they do and we can tap into that. So yeah. when we, when, when COVID hit, I was at Accenture when COVID hit yeah. and we were all working from home and pretty soon a video was being um, distributed that probably about 20 or 30 of us were part of making. Yeah. And they were banging on pots and pans. They were, somebody was playing guitar. Somebody else was playing a flute or, you know, and then I realized, oh my God, I work with who I thought were just stock up arrogant consultants (laughs) or, you know, uh, engineers of some technology or another. And they actually were tremendously talented and versatile people. That well, just you weren't never wrong. had a chance to bang that, on a drum, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, that's so, you know, to me, it's, um, it's this idea, you, you know, the, um, term polymath, have you heard, you heard the, it, it, to me, that is like, I'm always impressed if you kind of pull back the lens a little bit on somebody and say like, yeah, so what else do you do? You know? And people will just shock you, you know, if you kind of let them. And so we've got this, uh, uh, costume on, or I, so I, I call it, um, it's the, uh, the David Bowie mask, right? Like David Bowie would constantly reinvent himself. And it wasn't, it wasn't David Bowie. Wasn't even David Bowie. He was, he was David Jones. He becomes David Bowie, you know, gains some, you know, initial success. And then he starts on this journey of, building characters out, doing those for three, four years, shifting the character. And so I think so many of us in business build kind of a David Bowie-esque character. I'm the thin white Duke or I'm, I'm, you know, Ziggy, you know, and, and live in that cloak when there's really so much more to us, much like Bowie himself. He was well-read. I would say a genius by any metric. 
Um, but more so, you know, than just music and, and stagecraft, there's like a ton of, he was an expert in world religion and philosophy and all these things. And I think so many of us are that, but we have this notion of there's a business character, a mask, a David Bowie character that I've built and created and live in that frame, that, that world. And when I think a lot of us have this kind of polymath, you know, certainly yourself, you know, this whole idea of. Uh, expertise in equestrian things and then fusing that into business it's um i think that's where the greatness can happen you know if you allow that background yeah, to... i think that's a choice right yeah there's a choice to show up with a mask and yeah. and and then let the role identify yeah. you yeah rather than you identify the role that you're uh, in and and let let your different um yeah. You know, like, like I said before, I mean, let your inner rock star out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. I, I worked with a, a, a very, um, you know, a, a, a managing director who had, I think he had 35 years with Accenture. Wow. And what nobody knew until kind of when he was retiring, um, everybody's like, what are you going to do now? He goes, well, I'm going to, I'm going to work on my hobby. I, I'm, I'm a photographer. Yeah. And he was an amazing photographer. And nobody knew. Right. right? Yeah. Um, and so there are all these little, you know, different versions of ourselves yeah. that we need to let out at some point. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that that's where I think maybe a lot of the um, the fear comes in. It's like, we, I don't want to show that side of myself. Yeah. That's, that's in the shadow. No, bring it out into the light. And yeah. what are the opportunities then? Well, you know, life is short too, you know, and you kind of realize at some point we get into our careers and you kind of realize, wow, I'm lacking some authenticity here in terms of bringing myself to the role and working with people. And do they know who I am or am I just this David Bowie character that I've invented? And I think you, you want to peel it back to the essence of you if you can, but that takes a certain, I think, courage level <clears throat> and, uh, <clears throat> you know, skill to be able to go, all right, you know what? Confident enough. I'm credible enough to be able to kind of release some of the, you know, stage paint and really just kind of show people really what I do and who I am. But I think that's, yeah. I think that's kind of, I don't see that all the time necessarily, you know, and I, I wonder if there's like a methodology to doing that, that you've found. Not so much a methodology as it is in coaching, just peeling back the layers of, um, you know, peeling back the layers of what, is standing in the way of yeah. coming into the core of the real person. Yeah. Like, what do you want to show the world? Yeah. And, and, and if you have a, a passion or you mm -hmm. have, uh, it's like, it's like being able to, once you reach that point where you're able to let go of what other people, what you think other people yeah. think of you. Right. Yeah. Cause what does that matter? Right. But, 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 but that's hard. Yeah. That's really hard. And it's also scary. Yeah. I'm going to let people that's, you know, I'm being vulnerable. Yeah. And that's being weak. Yeah. When in fact it's not, it's people I think will respect you more if they see the vulnerable side of you. Yeah. And see that you are human and that you also fail or you're not perfect sure. or you you know and and to get to that there are there are some people I coach that will never be able to let go of that, but uh, yeah. most of the leaders I work with they get it and they they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, I want to be able to just let go of of what the expectations are of me and just, you know, like be stepping out of that comfort zone. Yeah. Which is where all the learning is. It's the richness of, you know, what you can become. Yeah. So that's yeah. For me, that's the fascinating part of coaching is being able to take people over that edge and say, oh, what is possible when you let go of this belief? What are the opportunities? Yeah. What might happen if you open this door? I think I think that's the um, risk assessment piece, right? And I, the podcast name is you know risk takers unleashed. And I, I think that you know people have asked me like, well, some people really don't take a lot of risks, and I kind of invert that to most of us take a pretty substantial amount of risk. Certainly, I think those of us who've gone down the business path, but in many areas of life, 
you know, moving to a new location or country is a risk. You know all this. Yeah. Um, um, deciding you're going to change to a different company or a different role, that's a risk. You know, all these things are actually quite substantial risks. And I think people get caught up in the risk avoidance mode when the journey, it seems to me, is the taking of the risk and then the iterating from the relative success or relative failure that whatever the endeavor was. And and it's rarely a 100% failure or 100% success, right? You know, reality is always in that gray space in the middle where it kind of like, oh, this weird thing happened that I didn't even plan for, which was good. Um, but then two other weird things happened that were not good. And I've got to reconcile that and make it work. But that makes you stronger, right? In the end, I think. And yeah, and that's the thing. I got, I've got another thing I want to kind of throw at you, which, um, so as I think about business and um, for better or for worse with the gray hair, I'm reaching the point where I think about eras of business, you know, where it's because I'm <laughs> decades in like yourself, you know, and I kind of think, wow, there are these kind of eras that we've, we've gone through technology standpoint, you know, management approaches, things like this. I'm thinking a lot today about the notion of hierarchy. And I think it's intrinsic in all of this conversation of leadership and credibility and management that we're, we're discussing right now. But it's the notion of, have we reached a point where uh, at least traditional model of hierarchy, the direct reporting relationship, and it's a pyramid and, you know, I report to an SVP and below me are three directors. And it's this kind of, you know, traditionally pyramidally shaped model. And um, we're all kind of kicking up to the top of the pyramid in terms of goals and vision. And I'm almost to the point now where that maps to me to management. And I think really it, it always had uh, done so. And I think it's this idea of as we pull the concept of leadership out and assess it in terms of ability to connect with your teams, ability to um, vocally convey the vision for a company to be able to, I think, lead with uh, empathic ability to kind of persuade people. I think that for me, I see the split between management and leadership growing and growing, which I think is a good thing. And I wonder if we're not like entering the death of the hierarchy in terms of corporate model, or is that just a secret hope of mine? No, I, I was like, I'm sitting here going, oh my God, I cannot believe you are going that, down that path. I, a hundred percent Yeah. hierarchy is, yeah. Very damaging to an organization, yeah. right? Yeah. It yeah. it completely uh, it completely um, stops communication, yeah, and collaboration. And what happens is it it also blocks empathy and yeah. emotional intelligence. Sure. So empathy because there is very little empathy at the very top. Yeah. Right. And and so all of the empathy is at the lower levels where yeah. it's then overripe. Yeah. Right. And probably with no boundaries and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and this is one of the things that we're talking about in my. Um, so I'm part of a, you know, the the emotions and the empathy and all of the the, yeah. the things that I've studied around that. I've been part of this uh, dynamic emotional integration group yeah. uh, led by an American author, um, Carla McLaren. Mm -hmm. And she's got some amazing books. She wrote one book in, in particular for business. Um yeah called the power of emotions at work. <laughs> and, and this is all about how you are not able to come to work yeah. with your emotions, please park them outside. Um, and yet you have unofficial roles yeah. of an emotional worker, right? Right. There's always somebody that takes that role of being the, the empathic, emotional, whatever, whatever, yeah. where everything lands on them and they and they are pulled and stretched and drained of energy because who else can they talk to, you know, who else can help them with, with this stuff? Where else can we yeah. voice our, you know, whatever is going on? Um, and so I, I think you're right. I think uh, 
the old fashioned patriarch, uh, you know, and, and, yeah. and it yeah. is, is in fact very damaging. Um, it leaves no room for collaboration or communication or empathy or emotional intelligence. I, you, you know, it's, you can almost create the argument that the higher up in the hierarchy, one might be the more demand need for empathic leadership that there is. And it does, that seems to be completely flipped around uh, or we're moving towards that. Hopefully. Uh, yeah. So I, I mean, yeah, good. I'm, I'm glad to, glad to hear you say that. And, you know, I say this at, at kind of like a, essentially I'm in the kind of, you know, later stages of, of career path when I might enjoy benefits of hierarchy. I've never found it to be a comfortable place to, to lead from. I just kind of, I don't get the value because I don't think it's there, you know, and um, maybe there are um, facets of life, perhaps, you know, military command and control. There's some necessary attributes to that. The order is given, the order must be followed through or people will die. You know, if it's not, if someone questions it or waits or so I, I'm sure there's a place for it. I don't want to be so, uh, you know, oblique that I don't, you know, obviously there's a place somewhere for hierarchy. It came to be, I just view it as a kind of a crude, crudely fashioned leadership tool that doesn't really have application in uh, a modern business paradigm to my mind. So yeah, no, good to hear. Good to hear you. Yeah, say and, that, and, and I mean, if you look at, um, so, so what I see in most of the executives that I, that I coach, um, and this is all across the C-suite, yeah. many of them um, feel they have to take the whole responsibility on their shoulders. Yeah. Right. Which, yeah. so I'm the CEO yeah. and therefore the buck stops with me. Yes. Yeah. Okay. There is some accountability. Yeah. And responsibility, I agree. And why wouldn't you share that with others? Yeah. So you know, you're yeah. you don't have to bear the burden. You can ask for help. You can delegate. You can ask for wingmen, right? Yeah. Um, and and that's where that 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 diamond model of shared leadership come yeah. in. But when you look at a, a at a horse herd, wild horses, mm-hmm. if, say you know they're. Very few of them left because they're being hunted by helicopters in the U.S., but that's another pet peeve of mine. But, yeah, I mean, looking at a real wild herd of horses in Mm. nature, when there's a crisis, my my mentor uh, from this this coaching, you know, this this uh, training that I'm going through, she she said, when you have a crisis in a in a horse herd, horses don't scatter, they convene. Whereas ah. if people face a crisis, they scatter, they yes. run around like, you know, chickens with their heads cut off. Oh my God, yeah. what are we going to do? There's a fire. There are... yeah. So in a, in a herd, you've got the lead mare, you've got the stallion, you've got what we call the sentinels, the yep. people that are, are the horses that are kind of on the side, you know, will help new, new herd members and, or new foals, you know, but they'll be, they'll be sharing that. It's not mm-hmm. the stallion in the front. It's not always the lead mare in the front. Yeah. Sometimes the stallion will be in the rear, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, because it's all about, again, looking at the environment and what threats do, are there around them and where are the resources? Where is the watering hole? Where are the, yeah. the grass? So they share that, that burden, if you will, or they share the role yeah. of leading the mass her two resources and whatnot. You've, I'm sure you've seen the kind of imagery of the, the wolf pack and where they'll, they'll show kind of, you know, there's a lead wolf, there's a trailing wolf, there's the, the younger ones are in the middle. And at first I kind of was like, well, that's, that's hierarchy, isn't it? And it's like, well, it's also capability set, you know, the, maybe the best vision or hearing wolf is in the front. So they've kind of earned that right based on competency, capability. Um, you know, the, the, the muscular tough one is in the very back. So he can kind of come in as a flanker. If there's trouble, the young new wolves or the pups are in the middle semi-protected, you know, and it's, it's, you realize it's, I guess there's a place really for all of this and, you know, finding that, that balance point. But I, I love that shows my just complete lack of knowledge of, of horses, but I love that they, 
cluster in times of chaos. And it is true. You see, you see panic situations on the news and just people just running in every direction. Yeah. And you go yeah. like, wow, we're really unorganized. You know, we really yeah. just don't work. And maybe like teamwork in general is a very unnatural move or a learned, you know, thing for us as, as humans. And look, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm just as happy working solo as I am on a team. I like both uh, for speed and I'm roughly always in agreement with myself. So, you know, that, that becomes, <laughs> that becomes hey, less argument. <laughs> there's a few, you know, there's a few that those like two voices in the head or more. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And, and isn't, isn't it amazing? I was thinking about this earlier today. It's amazing how wise yeah. we become. I'm like, I, yeah. in the last 10 years, I have become exponentially wiser than, you know, the, the 20 years before the last 10 years. And, and I'm just like, why couldn't I see all this, you know, when I was 25 yeah. or 30 or 35, but then, you know, there was different circumstances, but yeah, yeah it, it is, yeah. uh, it's amazing how not only wise, but also relaxed and how able I am to let go of stuff that I would get really worked up. 